Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to fill you in on something super cool. Power to Change is pleased to announce that the P2CS Next Step Scholarship is available across Canada in 2022. So this scholarship is for current residents of Canada entering into their first year of post-secondary undergrad this September 2022. The application is open until May 10th. 2022. So you're going to want to jump on it as soon as possible. This scholarship is designed to encourage a healthy transition to post-secondary, both by offering funds and by facilitating connections to faith communities on campus. There are 43 scholarships available, totaling up to $30,000. For more info on how to apply, visit p2c.sh slash next steps or p2c.sh slash next for French. Got it? Good. Now, hold on one second. I think Andy's got something for you as well. Hi, listeners. This is Andy Steiger. I want to let you know that I'm going to be heading to the Toronto area for June 8th and 9th, 2022. I'll be speaking at Wycliffe College. They have a conference that's happening out there called What Does It Mean to Be Human? And I would love to meet you there and encourage you to come out to this wonderful conference. Not only can you take in the great speakers that are going to be there, but you can actually be one of them. You are invited to submit a proposal and potentially present a paper. You can do so on a variety of different topics, such as disability, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, role of Christian faith in secular spaces, bioethics, biology, contemporary dignity, or the dying pastoral and congregational approaches to ethical and social issues, and on and on. There are many different aspects that you can approach this issue of humanity from and would just encourage you to do so. You do need to submit your submission by April 30th if you want to participate And just to note, these will be either online presentations or in person, and they're about 15 minutes in length. You can find all the information at wycliffecollege.ca. That's all we got for you today. We'll get out of your hair. Now for the podcast. Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Andy and Steve. How are you guys doing? Present. I'm doing great. It's a bit of a somber week, though, because it's the Holy Week, right? So as this podcast is going out, it's going to be Good Friday. And my goodness, it is a very... But I got to say, you know, of all the days of the Holy Week, the one that's the most kind of somber or even depressing for me is Saturday. Like Friday, I know stuff was happening, like really cool stuff. Well, I can't... I mean, it it was good stuff, right? That's what it's called. Really cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... The, the Lamb of God finally atoning for our sins in his death kind of that that's really awesome but Saturday yeah. I mean imagine putting yourself in the shoes of the disciples right this is after Jesus' death before he yep. rose to life again completely just, defeated yeah. yeah and so but hey Easter's just around the corner mm-hmm. yeah there there yeah there is hope yeah I feel like that's what it would have been for you know like I think I just think about different times in our life where it, you your life feels like it's the Saturday, you know, where you've something major has happened and then you're like, okay, I believe God, I believe that you're gonna do something, I believe that you're strong and powerful, but man, Sunday seems so far away. Or do I really believe it? Like your faith gets really brought into question. Or I think another aspect to that is 
the disciples on Saturday didn't know that Sunday was coming, right? Yeah. They mm-hmm. they thought that you know that that's it sort of idea. But it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? There's a there's a big difference when you suffer with hope and when you suffer without hope. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a that's a really really good point. I um for for our listeners who may be new or whatever, I I am a recording artist and and actually on Good Friday I'm releasing uh, a cover to a song I did called We Have Hope and so that'll be on all streaming platforms. Just a little shameless plug there, Love but it. Um, we uh, it, Troy let us have a little sneak listen to that and mm-hmm. it is excellent. Quickly became. On my wife's top playlist as well, like so good, man. And at the leadership summit, yeah, did it live, man. Did it live is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be. You can look up Scribe Music, and we have hope on Friday. It'll be out there. Um, yeah, but today we're we wanted to talk about. Yeah, we're talking about elements of Easter, but we're taking a different angle that I've never actually considered. We're taking the angle of how. Easter and the environment or how Easter reflects the environment. How would you guys put that? Yeah, we're going to be talking about the concept of environmentalism. And we want to talk about just different ways that our society, you know, talks about why you should, re- you know, reduce, reuse and recycle. But we're going to we're going to tie it into Easter today and show that Christians of all people have a good reason to actually care about the environment. And mm-hmm. conversely, right? Uh, just to kind of look at it from the other side too, if your worldview says there is no meaning or purpose in this life, then why bother with the environment? So one of the things that we want to talk about today is can your worldview actually prop up and support environmentalism mm-hmm. or care for creation? Because I I think this is an important question that our culture, by and large, just goes unasked, unquestioned, uh, unthought about, if you will. For most people, environmentalism is just a given. You know, you've got to care about the rainforest and you got to care about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, global warming and the oceans and, and on and on. And and the, like, listen, I the, just to be very clear, at Apologetics Canada, all of us except for Steve, we care about the environment. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because I live in Alberta? Is yeah. this a discrimination yeah. against Albertans? I, mean, I, I wasn't going to say it, but good on you. Like, I mean... <laughs> God is doing a work, clearly, <laughs> while this podcast is happening. By the time you hear it, Steve might be pro-environment. So that's the goal of today. <laughs> Steve's fracking in his backyard. No, <laughs> no listen, we <laughs> we all care about the environment. We, yes, we, yes. we do. But it's interesting to me, you know, how, how rarely people actually get into the why of environmentalism. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just recently... Uh, wrote an article on this. It'll be coming out with Solos. It's a ministry out in the UK that we partner with, uh, with uh, Andy Bannister out there. Love the, love their ministry, love him and working with them. And, and we'll see how that article gets used. I think they're publishing in a paper out there as well. So it's something I've been thinking about lately, uh, you know, writing on this. And let, let me just ask you guys, 
you know, is is this issue of in the environment something you guys think a lot about? I remember in Bible college, one of my profs said something that uh, to this day, I, I understand what he was saying, but I, I don't think he delivered it very well. He said, sometimes I think that environmentalism is actually an antichrist establishment because that I believe that potentially the enemy wants to keep the world going on forever because the longer the world goes on, the, the longer people are here, which means he can, he's got more time to collect souls. And so this whole movement of trying to save the planet is, is a, could potentially be a scheme because the, the Lord said the world is going to end and we'll be with him in glory and that sort of thing. And I remember wow. sitting there. Yeah, I remember sitting there. Not going to say the college. I'm not. <laughs> but I remember sitting there and just being like, huh. I, 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 like, I could have just very easily glazed over because it, it was kind of a, it was a pretty wild thing. I'd never heard anyone say that. But it was just kind of like, ah. I'd never thought about it before then. Well, as you were talking, it's one of those things where, you know, so as, as you started, I'm like, yeah, I could get on that train. And I'm starting to get comfortable in my seat. But the longer you went there, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like, uh, stop, please. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, let I'm me get... off. Let me off. I want off. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get yeah, off this I, train. Yeah. But I can't say that I've um, had the deepest, deepest thoughts about the environment. I've thought about stewardship. You know, I'm going to throw away my trash. I'm going to do because I'll be a good steward. But as far as trying to maintain the world for the sake of um, the world lasting forever, I'm like, I know it's not going to, but that doesn't mean I can be messy. So that's kind of about as deep as I've gone. Yeah. And for me, I mean, like you said, Andy, environmentalism or, you know, elements of environmentalism was just something I kind of grew up with, but perhaps from a slightly different angle. Uh, growing up in South Korea, it was right around the time when, you know, there was the Summer Olympics in Seoul in 1988. You know, as a developing country at the time, one of the things that was really emphasized on is, okay, what's our image to the world stage, to the global stage, right? Now, if you understand anything about the Korean culture, people have a lot bigger of a sort of a consciousness for how other people look at you because it's a bit more of a collectivistic culture. So what other people say of you, what other people think of you actually matters. And so as the world was coming to our country for the Summer Olympics, there was a lot of emphasis on let's keep the streets clean. For Pete's sake, let's keep things neat and tidy because there was a lot of problems with people just throwing garbage on the streets and things like that. And so that's where I personally started developing a bit more of a consciousness of, okay, we need to take care of our environment. But it wasn't from the typical angle of, you know, because it, Typically, when you ask people, right, why should I care about the environment? It's a bit longer term, right? It's, it's for the future generations. For me, it was more about this immediate, let's tidy up where we are, you know, for hospitality's sake. So it was a little different for me. Right. Well, I think that this is part of the, the problem, though, is it's very easy to get kind of caught up in kind of culture saying, hey, we should clean up the city. We should tidy up. Maybe it's because the Olympics or or it's because there's, you know, something something taking place and we want to put on, you know, we want to look good on the yeah, world stage the sort of sort of idea. But that that's kind of a it's not kind of it that's a it's a pretty shallow answer actually. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it depends on the culture, right? Because in our culture, it was so important. That, and and it, it's a lot like that even today. Like we want to make sure, you know, we're received well by the, the global community kind of a thing. But I think you're right, especially for me where I came from, it was pretty, I would have to say for me personally, it was pretty shallow. I want to look good before other people kind of thing. Well, it's one of those things that that Jesus gets after in his Sermon on the Mount, where talking about, you know, there's the sin, you know, sins that you create, that you do, that people can see. But then there's there's also the what's going on in the heart. Like, why Mm -hmm. why do you do it? Do you not cheat on your your spouse because you don't want to get caught or you're afraid of what people are going to think? Or do you actually care in your heart that doing that is is not is wrong and is not good for you or for them you know like what mm-hmm. what is the kind of the motivation and that's why the why question of environmentalism i think really pierces the heart it's like it it kind of arrests you if you will in in your kind of cultural complacency of okay this is what we do and makes you actually give a reason yeah. for mm-hmm. why you do it andy you've told this story for a long time. I, I mean, at first I heard this story from when you were writing the book, uh, Thinking, right? And even before I heard this story from when you were down in Oregon, uh, where you're originally from, and you, as Andy likes to do, Andy went to the bookstore. This is his sort of candy shop, so to speak, right? And he, as he was coming out, he encountered somebody. Andy, do you care to share that story again? Yeah, I, I was in... For those wondering, Pal's Bookstore, which is uh, just a treasure trove of of new and used books. But I'm coming out of the bookstore, and I'm greeted by a friendly um, college student wearing a Greenpeace t-shirt and holding the clipboard, and asks, you know, do you care about the environment? Uh, to which I, you know, said, yeah, I do. And then he said, uh, well, let me tell you about, you know, the environmental apocalypse that we're, we're in. And and you know, I, I I say that in jest, kind of, but but you and I realize like there's some there's some bad stuff going on, and that's part of the problem, actually, right? It's like, hey, I'll recycle if you're looking, but uh, look what I'll do when no one else is looking, sort of problem, right? Or look, you know, what I won't dump this in the ocean if you see me, but if you don't see me, you know, <laughs> yeah. which which I'm glad. So in other words, I'm, I'm saying that because I'm glad that there's organizations that care and that we can um, get behind that. And there's different movements that I've that I've really appreciated the you know the efforts on, but so as he was telling me about you know all that's going on, he then ended of course by asking if I'd make a donation, and and I asked him you know hey you know before I open up my wallet here, let me ask you a question, and and I said uh, why do you care about the environment, and and it's just been one of those stories I I do this now regularly when I meet with people or if I meet with people especially if they're into the environment or just ask them why, which I've found fascinating over the years. And the reason I guess that I found it fascinating is one is it often catches people by surprise and they have to think about it as mm-hmm. this man did. He's on the street corner and, and you know, the irony just kind of hits you that he's, he's there preaching about the importance of the environment, but now he's got to stop and think about why uh, he's doing that and why it should matter. Then then he finally, you know, kind of came back to me and said, well, for future generations, you know, that, that's why you should care about the environment is for future generations, which, which is a very cultural answer these days. I would say 99% of the time when I ask people why they care about the environment, that's the answer I get. Yeah. And in fact, that's kind of epitomized in 
just even the way we understand what we call world heritage sites. Notice it's a world heritage. It's like it's the world's inheritance sort of sort of idea. Like right. you know, we're protecting it for people. And so, if you just stop and think about that for a moment, and I just want to, you know, for us just to, to talk about this, like, isn't it fascinating that we often? And by the way, this just happened when I was at the leadership summit, um, talking with one of the young adults. We were talking about the environment and and asked why why do you think you should care about it? And same answer: future generations. And it raises this question, you know, it's fascinating that we immediately see that the value of the planet is intimately tied to human value. Mm -hmm. I think we got to reflect on that. Yeah, that's, it is an interesting thing because we've been called to stewardship from the beginning, but it's really interesting the things that we will do for the sake of future generations and the things that we will not and environment has always been one of those things that like, you know, you see a form of it, you know, a social injustice that's going on. I would garner that I've seen more people actively involved in protests in downtown Vancouver having to do with the environment and what the government's doing about the environment or what they're not doing than people actively doing something in regards to what may have happened about in regards to a social injustice, right? Like, I haven't heard anything about people going and storming the government buildings downtown Vancouver about what's going on in Ukraine in protest, right? I think it's a really interesting point. If Russia was, you know, backing up their dump trucks into the the you know Black Sea there, or oh my gosh, right? They're they're like having a nuclear bonfire or whatever it might be, you know, and they're they're just if they were trashing the environment. You would oh. see, I, I think you're right. I think you're right that you would see a global upheaval perhaps far greater than what we're seeing where people are being trashed. My goal in bringing that up is simply to say that clearly we think that environmental stewardship is intimately tied with human dignity stewardship and that it's because humans matter that the environment matters. And, and so I what i what i find important there is is that we need to take that more seriously do it you know if that's the if that's an answer you know one answer that we think is is actually true like does that mean that we take human dignity seriously for example do i care about human value yeah i what would do you guys remember who was that that young lady who uh i think there was a lot they there was that that hu- it was a couple of years ago. There was that large um, protest that was led by youth and children um, for the for the environment, and it was kind of sparking things all over the place. What was the name of that that young lady that they kind of propped up, only to then tear her down very soon after? I don't know. If oh, guys- uh, Greta? Greta Greta Thunberg. Yeah. See, when we're talking about like the future generations thing, it's I found that. When an, if, if the average person just says it, nobody really wants to pay attention. But the moment they use a kid and prop them up, all of a sudden, it's this amazing show that's amazing. Look at what the youth are saying, what the youth are doing. But it's a show. Because it wasn't too long after she was getting dragged through the media for being, for being young and having an opinion. And they're saying, well, 
it, it was on one hand, like the youth are the future. They have their opinions on the environment. This is about them. Da, 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 da. But then the next, the, the next couple months she was getting dragged saying, well, she's too young to fully understand how this all works. And it's just this weird thing for me where I'm yeah. like, as we're talking about the, the environment, it's like, what, are, I don't think we know what we're fully after. I think people are just afraid to die. It is interesting, by the way, that a lot of environmentalism ultimately starts to look negatively on human beings, which is odd because yeah. the one, on the it's one ironic. hand, we're saying import, people matter. But on the other hand, you will have these different uh, ideas that get you know, perpetuated in which actually people don't matter. So we actually did a podcast on this not that long ago with an ad campaign that was here in Vancouver with uh, one one planet one child.org something like that do you remember that one steve uh yeah i do remember that one and, and it's really not that um much of a fringe movement either right it's no. a pretty fashionable thing especially in academia to look down on humanity as a whole and often you will see humanity compared to parasites or a cancerous tumor or a virus that just basically need to be rid of. And if we can just get rid of human beings, you know, the planet would be great. Let me let me give you an example of that, for example. So by the way, that organization advocates for less people because that that's how you save the planet is less people. The um the one the you know one that I just it always sticks out to me is in the movie The Matrix, uh the first movie. Uh, I believe it's Agent Smith is is speaking with Morpheus and and he basically says, you know, you're, you know, you human beings are a parasite. You you just keep breeding and you just keep, de- you know, destroying everything, right? And and uh, the planet and and whatever, which is hilarious, by the way, because when you watch a couple movies in and you see um, the the curtain pulled back of what the machines have done with the planet, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, basically, the planet looks like one giant circuit board and. It's just disgusting. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But that, but I, I agree with you, Steve. There is this inconsistency that that goes on. Where on the one hand we're saying, yeah, the environment matters. Oh, why does it matter? Oh, it matters because of people. But in actuality, people are a parasite, right? Like people are a problem. Or and here's the big one for me: uh, the 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 concern that I have that I just feel we need to fully come to terms with because I think the irony of this is is uh is quite something where you know we speak at universities all the time and I speak with university students all the time and the message that I continue to see both in lecture form and publication form and what I continue to hear students telling me is what you said earlier Steve that they are continually being taught particularly in certain departments of the university uh that the universe is purposeless it's it's without meaning uh in fact uh neil degrasse tyson was recently interviewed here in april and he uh his the line that kind of became captured for the the article is uh the universe is on a one-way trip get over it and and ultimately what he's getting at is the idea that you know we are in the midst of the heat death of the universe the energy in the universe you know, the entropy is being used up, and one day as the universe expands and and cools as all the energy is used up, it will come to complete ruin. It's a one-way trip. 
In other words, it's, you know, it's interesting listening to them. This gets back to what you were saying, Troy, about this fear of death. It's kind of an odd thing. There seems to be two things that happen, guys. One is that people have a fear of death and they have a fear of a different kind of death, a death of the universe. It's very disturbing. See, I think for some people, it's okay for them to deal with their own death, but knowing things are going to go on. It's another thing for them to know that they're going to die and everything else is going to die. The earth is going to die. The universe is going to die. And one day there is going to just be stillness as it's yeah. all dead, if you will. That's what basically in this article and this news interview, that's what, that's what they talked about. And we're quite disturbed by. Yeah, it's, it's as if there, you kind of see this wrestle, you know, it's, it's like this spiritual wrestle where people are like, well, the, the world doesn't have meaning to try and appease the fact that there are some lofty things that are outside of our understanding already. Whether we look at science, we look at our biology, all these things and the argument for creation and all those, all those arguments. But then, just as you're saying, it's, but because of that, there's st- we're still so driven by our fear that now I have to try and like almost completely dismiss all of it, but I can't fully reconcile that. And though, and it's, I think it's those kinds of moments for me that, that strengthen my faith because it's like, wow, that's really what it looks like to not have hope. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, I'm glad you brought that up, Troy, because um, just to connect it with what we're talking about, about environment, even the idea, the thought of environmentalism it has to be coherent. How does it fit into your world? Mm. So worldview. On the one hand, you want to say, okay, well, life is meaningless and things like that, but we need to protect the environment. Like, how does that right. work? So environmentalism, just as an kind of a people tend to just kind of separate it as an as an independent thought. But mm. really, this thought is connected to all the other beliefs that you have about the world. And it might not sit very comfortably with some of the things that you believe about yeah. God, about humanity, and about the world as a whole. It challenges your worldview mm-hmm. big time. Like, you can't, to, you can't say in the same breath, I don't believe you can comfortably say in the same breath that nothing, nothing matters but that we need to save the world. Well, just like we've been we've been reiterating, it's like, well, why? And I think that's a big component, even for the believer. You know, we, we're talking a lot about the world's concept of that sort of thing, but I think even for the believer, until you really challenge your role in all of this, because it's easy to just put the onus on God. Well, God has created the universe. He's done it all. He's doing it all. And he's coming back. Okay, but you still have a role to play in between. And so trying to find that role, I think, like, you're going to hear this from us forever. It comes back to identity. And I think a lot of our environmentalism stems back to identity. People are looking for value. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And that's where, where we start worshiping the world because we're playing a role in it. If we feel like we're playing a role in it now... The world is even more important. Why? Because look at what what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. And it's just this weird wrestle. It's kind of like the cart before the horse sort of idea. It's like we're taking care of the environment in this attempt to make some sort of meaning or purpose out of all, all of it. 
but yet at the same time are operating from a worldview that is without meaning or purpose mm-hmm. being a potential, particularly if God's not a part of our worldview. If this world is just this cosmic accident, as you know, uh, Tyson believes and is on this one-way trajectory to heat death, it is this very weird game that people play uh, as they're as they're you know recycling. So it's yeah, it's this weird thing where it's like, hey, life is meaningless, but you know, make sure you recycle. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> but let me let me ask you guys a different question because I think this is one that that again you see culture not dealing with. If we take people out of the equation and ask, does the environment matter? Can we extend that and say, does the environment matter without us? Is the environment worth saving without people? I guess the question is, matter to whom, right? Mm. Because when you say, does something matter, it's a, well, a matter of value judgment, no pun intended. But <laughs> oh, when it was something... intended. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you those smile. Who say, <laughs> those who say, pun not intended, they are weaklings. Intention puns, weaklings. Um, uh, yeah, so when you say something matters, you're attaching value to it. But the funny thing about value is that its value is connected to the valuer. I don't think you can have such a thing as value without persons, without personhood. Mm. Um, so if there were nobody in the universe, no humans, no other sentient beings... Uh, and in a completely godless world. So let's look at the universe as a complete sort of, there's only the physical stuff that it's made of. Without people in it, does the environment matter? Well, there's nobody to whom it should matter. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't even make, it, it, it doesn't really cohere as an idea. So as a Christian though, we would say, you know that the environment does matter, and because the Christian has an interesting answer to why the environment matters, a oh, Christian, a Christian shouldn't go to the first port of call being, you know, the environment matters because of future generations. Troy, mm-hmm. you were going to say something there. Well, I I just think I just take it for me. It's I go to Genesis, and I just I really think about the creation of the world, the care, the effort like that God put into creating the world. It's like, if God did not care, then we wouldn't have seen it so outlined with the specifics of what, where, where, when he hung the sun, when he put fish, when he brought the waters, when he gathered things together, and then created us, one, to worship, but then gave us dominion to steward all of that. Like, I want someone to take care of this. I want someone to share this with. And 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 think also to where where um, I'm not sure where the passage is, but where scripture talks about if if the ro- the rocks will cry out if you don't, it's there's this connection to any everything that God has created that if you don't have a hope in Jesus, then you're not going to value the things of that that God created. You're not going to care because. Unless you, ha- unless Jesus is the the source of your joy and is ultimately where we're trying to go with, to be with Him, then nothing else is going to nothing else matters. Life will not matter. Environment will not matter. Nothing will matter. 
or or um just to add to your point not to contradict you but just to add to it or you will think that things matter in and of themselves you will think they matter for all of the wrong reasons yeah, right and yeah. that's why in Romans Paul talks about how they believe a lie right and suppress the truth and they end up creating the creation instead of the creator yeah. exchange the truth right? of god for a lie yeah right right that's right they worship the created instead of the creator uh this is an important point because as Christians, we would say that the that the environment, that the earth matters because it it matters to God. Yeah. God created the universe and he created this planet, you know, that we call Earth, this blue rock spinning around, you know, the the, the sun sort of idea. And that you and I, you know, it goes back to what you're talking about, Steve, that you and I understand that things have value in relationship to persons. And so when I borrow um, something from Troy, you know, if it, or if Troy borrows some, say, shoes, you know, from me to do some filming, say, with dog sledding, <laughs> 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 right? You, you you get you get the point though that you you care for those things that we steward on behalf of somebody else, right? Like it doesn't belong to me, yeah. and so I care for it not because shoes have value, but that relationship has value. Yeah. That's good right? because that and relationship the, and has value. The 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 shoes have value because of the relationship or whatever that might be. For us, the environment has value because God created it. It's it's an incredible way that we get to see the world. And and I think truthfully, sadly, uh, not enough Christians really own that. You know, yeah. that hey, we should mm-hmm. actually care about the planet. I would say that we often get out environmentalized, you know. Mm-hmm. And may and I think that's often though because people will maybe go down the extreme route or they will attach all their meaning and purpose in the environment. And whereas a Christian is going to have more of a balanced perspective of that. Yeah. But listen, if there's anybody that should be recycling, it should be us. If there's anybody that should care about this created order, I mean, it should be us. That like the God of the heavens and the earth made it and mm-hmm. made it for us, and we have the privilege of stewarding it. That's really good. And and I think we would do well to remember that when God created the world, he created it good. That was his continual pronouncement, right? Um, rather, you know, in Genesis, it says, you know, after the first day, like, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And then at the end, when everything is completed, he said, and it's very good. Right? God saw that it was very good. And so this world comes to us with all of this value kind of suffused with it. Um, and, and so, yeah, we should take care of the environment. I do think, though, the reason a lot of Christians, um, especially in the evangelical world, tend not to care about the environment, I find that often it has to do with their eschatology, their view of how things will end. And many evangelical Christians have this mindset that, you know, it's all going to burn up anyway. Right, God is going to basically wipe everything down, destroy everything, and create something brand new. Um, and I, I actually have to challenge that. I don't think that's how uh, it, it's going to go down. I don't think that's how Scripture presents it. So, what do you guys think? What's your take on that? Well, I th- I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's important that we tie this in with Easter. I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. tie that people might not fully appreciate. That you know, here here we're in this 
Holy Week, we're leading up to Easter, and maybe right as you're listening to this, you know, you're in Easter or it's it's after Easter, but Easter is very much tied to uh, the way that a Christian should view the yeah. the environment and the way that Christians should view each other. That we understand that God is in control. We understand that God um, has a plan. That God has acted on that plan, and that God is making all things new. That God is not creating something new. Uh, that God's original plan is still the plan. Plan, plan. It's only Plan A, you know. And ultimately, Plan A, you know, got thwarted in the garden, and we inherited a broken world through sin and evil. But God's plan has always been, and we celebrated Easter that God has restored. God has restored us, and one day God will restore yeah. everything where we inherit the world we were intended to inherit, one that in which we live in right relationship with the earth and with each other and with God. Man, that just, that just hits so different for me. Like, that's, so, that's such a good um, way to put that, Andy, because I just—man, God in his kindness literally did the reverse. Because he made the world first, and then we came in and we mucked it up, and then he said, all right, let me fix these guys first. Let's fix this first, then we'll deal with the environment. It's like, like that, that is my, that's actually mind-blowing when you really think about, it's like I build this house of mine, and I invite somebody over, and they're reckless with it. I tell them, hey, don't plug this into the electrical socket or whatever. It sparks a fire. They burn it all down. They run because now they're like, man, I burned down your house. But the first thing I go and do is go and find them and make sure that they're okay, make sure that they're safe. And hey, this was your house too. So let's fix our relationship. Don't worry about the house. The house will get taken care of. But I made this house for you. And the fact, like, it's just coming back to the point you made earlier, man, God cares about the environment because he, or we should care about the environment because we care about relationship with Jesus and the whole season of Easter, I, I call it a season because Lent leading up to it, man, that, that is really what we should be walking away from it with. It's like he died and resurrected for relationship. And yes, all of our situations and all of our sin nature and all those things were defeated on the cross, but he didn't just defeat it so that we can then be like, oh, well, it's all good then. No, I did it because I love you, because I want to have a relationship with you. And we were separated, and I had to trust some rabbi with bells around his ankles for generations, and we can't keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, just to kind of piggyback off of your illustration earlier about the house burning down, you know, and, and with your friends burning your house down, rather, and, and those kinds of things, think about it this way, too, right? If your house burns down and you rebuild your house first and you invite your friends over without anything having been changed, what do you think is going to happen again? Right? They'll probably burn it down again or do something else, yep. right? So the first thing you need to do then is, like you said, Troy, is make sure they're okay. And, and, and then something has to be amended in this relationship. If there is to be any guarantee that this house is going to remain standing the next time they come to visit yeah. it, right? Um, just, just to, again... To bring this back around to the resurrection, I think it's really, I find Paul's theology really helpful here. Because when you look at the resurrection, 
this is an eschatological event. What I mean by that is this is an event that actually shows you how things are going to pan out, right? Uh, we have this idea in, especially in evangelical circles, that the end times is this last handful of years leading up to the end of history as we know it. But actually, uh, the New Testament theology is such that it's, no, from the inauguration of God's kingdom as Jesus uh, enters into his, his ministry, the end time started, and and the resurrection is a is an event that looks forward to what's going to happen to us. And so, in First Corinthians fifteen, Paul talks about how he is the first fruit. Jesus is the first fruit of those who sleep, right? Those who belong to him. We are going to be raised like that. And now, for Paul, all of this is pointing to the future, but it's also present reality, right? Those who believe in Jesus, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We are the new creation. Now, think about that. God didn't just destroy us and build something brand new and foreign in our place. He restored us. And that's the picture that we're looking at with creation as well, right? So in Romans 8, Paul writes in verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so just as we are not destroyed and sort of constructed into something foreign, what was corrupted has been restored. Right, and this is very much again. Yeah. This actually is, gets tied back to Genesis three as well. So think about it: death enters into the world because of sin and evil. Um, now, if when we die, we just continue on as these disembodied spirits, this is no victory at all, right? What kind of victory is that? In fact, death is reigning. So what God does in Jesus is that He reverses. That the effect of the fall, and he actually brings Jesus back to life. Jesus doesn't continue on as this disembodied spirit. He comes back to life bodily, right? And that's what's going to happen to us. Death has been defeated. Right? And, and in the same way, the creation that has been corrupted, rather than this all going up in flames and God building something totally foreign into its place, he is going to redeem it and restore it. Get that sermon off, Steve. Get that sermon off. Preach it. <laughs> no, that's so good. That's so good. I mean, I, think I, I, I go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think the key in all of this is just just to remember that as you know, as you're talking, Steve, as we've been when we've been talking, the the environment is constantly standing in relationship between us, right, each other, and God, and that it goes both ways. We care. Because God cares, and God first loved us, right? God, God cares and created the environment. Why? For us, like the like relationship is key, is central to how we need to look at the environment. And so, listen, my prayer is is that this Easter, as you're celebrating Jesus's death, it helps you actually to see not just your relationship with God differently, your relationship with each other, but even your relationship with the environment. Well, thank you, listeners, for listening to the AC Podcast. 
By the time you're hearing this, it is more than likely Good Friday, or perhaps you listen to it later. So happy Easter from all of us at Apologetics Canada. Stay tuned. We got a lot of things going on uh, with our team. We got people going on trips. We got speakers and different things. So make sure you are tied into our social media. Make sure you follow us on all platforms. And the AC podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. So if you really have been enjoying the podcast, we are consistently looking for supporters. We're looking for donors. We're looking for people who would like to partner with us so we can continue to do this good work. But until next time, tune in next week as we find more things to think about. And as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.